Hello, this is Bobby Newman. I'd like to welcome you to this week's Research Minutes, the CPRI Knowledge Hub's weekly podcast where we interview researchers about the latest work being done in the field to help improve education. This week, Matthew Steinberg, Assistant Professor of Education at the University of Pennsylvania, joins me to discuss his study, Classroom Composition and Measured Teacher Performance. What do teacher observation scores really mean? This article was published in Education Evaluation and Policy Analysis. Matthew, thank you for taking time to join me today. I know you've published widely on teacher evaluation and more specifically teacher observation research over the past few years. And in the coming months, you have more research and press on this topic. But today I'd like to focus on your work that speaks to classroom composition. What is classroom composition and how does it influence teacher observation scores? Thanks, Bobby. Classroom composition refers to the characteristics of the students that make up or compose a teacher's classroom. And in the paper that you referred to uh, in the introduction, what I, along with my co-author, Rachel Garrett, did was look at data from the Measures of Effective Teaching Study, which was a uh, study across six school districts in the 2009-10 and 2010-11 school years, uh, funded by the Gates Foundation, which really tried to understand um, at at the classroom level what instructional practice looks like and the extent to which uh, teacher quality may affect student achievement. And what we did was ask the question of, well, to what extent do the characteristics of a teacher's students affect how we rate and measure the performance of their teacher? This is a particularly important question given in the last five or six years the fairly widespread reform of teacher evaluation systems nationwide across almost every state and among most of the largest school districts in in the country. And what's notable about these reforms, even with much of the the sort of popular discussion and press given to the use of student test score data to include in teacher evaluations, still, even under these new teacher evaluation reforms, the majority of a teacher's uh, evaluation rating continues to rely on classroom observations of teacher practice. So given that policy background, we wanted to know to what extent are teachers' summative evaluation ratings or how we rate teacher performance under these new systems uh, potentially subject to bias given the characteristics of the classrooms in which they teach, knowing that across the country, teachers tend to be non-randomly assigned to the students that they teach. So what's a particularly useful feature of the, of the measures of effective teaching or the MET study data is that in the second year of the study, 2010-11, just prior to the second year, teachers within schools and within uh, subject uh, and grade blocks, so for example, seventh grade math teachers in a given school, were randomly assigned to rosters of students. And by virtue of the randomization, we're able to get traction on on the causal question of how does the incoming academic performance of my students ultimately affect how I'm rated and my own performance as a teacher. Classroom composition, if we had to identify specific parameters that you were looking at, what would they have been? The principal feature of classrooms that we focused on was the academic achievement of a teacher's students. That was was the primary question. To what extent does the incoming academic achievement of a teacher's students, given all the research over the years that's been done that shows 
that teachers tend to be higher performing teachers systematically are assigned to higher achieving students and vice versa, that on average lower performing teachers tend to be assigned to lower achieving students. We know that teacher assignment to classroom tends to be done on the basis of a, of a, of a student's um, incoming performance. So we focused on this particular feature of a class's composition, the incoming performance of the teacher's student. So you found that teachers' performances measured by classroom observation is significantly influenced by the classroom composition. You find that, for particularly for ELA, the, the higher achieving a teacher's students are, right, and again by achievement I mean based on the prior year's state accountability exams, the higher the teacher's observation scores were in the subsequent school year, right? So again, so if I and teaching students that come in with higher performance, my performance as measured by my classroom practice based on, in this case, the Danielson Framework for Teaching Observation rubric will be higher. So does how does incoming achievement um, influence other teaching practices? So this is a really important question. We were able to dig into this because what's, what was notable about the use of the Danielson Framework for Teaching is that um, there are multiple um, there were multiple domains of practice. Now, of course, the full Danielson framework has something like 20-some components across four domains. The, da the MET data and the evaluators of teacher practice and the MET data looked at two domains, classroom environment, so a teacher's ability to manage the classroom environment, and two, instructional performance. And in each of those domains, there were four components. So for classroom environment, the four components were creating an environment of respect and rapport with students, establishing a culture for learning, managing classroom procedures, and managing student behavior. Now, the four components that teachers were rated on for the instructional domain of the Danielson framework were communicating with students, using questioning and discussion techniques, engaging students in learning, and using assessment and instruction. And what we found was that for each of the four teacher practices that fall under the managing classroom environment domain, incoming achievement had a very strong and significant effect, meaning that if I have higher achieving students, again, this is centered largely on English language um, arts, so literacy instruction, if I have higher performing students in literacy, then on each of those classroom environment domains, I as a teacher am rated better. What's notable is that for the two of the four instruction-related components, so for using questioning and discussion techniques and for using assessment and instruction, the incoming achievement of my students as a teacher had no significant effect on those instructional practices, which suggests that, again, those are the types of instructional practices you might think tend to be invariant to the characteristics of the students. As a teacher, I'm going to use instruction, or rather use assessment in my instruction, or particular questioning and discussion techniques that are more, more or less sort of endowed skills that I have, whereas the other two characteristics of the instructional domain, communicating with students and engaging students in learning, have to do with the types of rapport and interpersonal connections that teachers have with their students. And we might believe that if teachers are being rated on those sort of interpersonal interactions, and I have a classroom of students who are lower achieving and potentially um, have behavioral characteristics that are related to that lower achievement, 
then teachers are likely that performance on those types of uh, practices are going to be affected by the incoming achievement, and that's what we find. So again, the point being is that those practices of teachers that tend to be less reliant on their interactions with students are unrelated to the incoming achievement of their kids, but the practices that are related to the, to the interactions that they have with students around managing the classroom environment and engaging students um, in learning, right, through communications with students are affected by the incoming academic achievement of their kids. So as you mentioned earlier, a lot of states uh, and districts have moved toward um, adopting teacher evaluation policies. What advice would you give to states and districts who are considering making personnel decisions based largely on observation scores? So again, I think a lot of the a lot of the conversation in the last five or six years as states and districts were revising and implementing new evaluation systems was around the use of student test score data, right? And many of the sort of political and and policy issues around incorporating student performance into high-stakes teacher evaluations. Now, it's important to note that nationwide, about only about 30% or less than a third of teachers teach in subjects that um, students are tested on state accountability exams. So we're talking again about students in grades three through eight, in math and ELA classes, once in high school. So again, 70% of teachers nationwide do not have student test scores based on state accountability exams. So even with all of the reform around evaluation systems, in most cases, the overwhelming majority of a teacher's evaluation continues to be based on observation of their classroom practice. And the fact that policymakers and district leaders really need to be concerned about the extent to which the scores and the ratings that we're giving to teachers reflect not entirely a teacher's own instructional performance, but in fact the non-random ways in which we assign teachers to different classes of students and the non-random ways in which we sort and assign teachers across schools to different students. So again, the concern here is that most of a teacher's observations, rather most of a teacher's final evaluation rating, whether that teacher is deemed to be proficient professionally or not proficient, is going to rely on observation scores. And these scores, as we've shown in this study, and again, and elsewhere, are subject to, to bias based on composition. And I know you work with um, state level and district level uh, policy folks and help them craft policies using uh, a lot of your work and others' work. So that's excellent. I just wanted to thank you for taking the time out to talk to me today, and I look forward to reading your other work. Thank you for listening to Research Minutes. To share your thoughts on this discussion, head to KHUB Conversations at cprehub.org. To subscribe to our weekly podcast and listen to more interviews, head to soundcloud.com forward slash CPRI Knowledge Hub. And for the latest videos, podcasts, and discussion updates, follow us at CPRI Hub on Twitter and CPRI Knowledge Hub on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.